before we start, I, I just want to remind you guys and let you know how much Cynthia and I love you, how much we love this church, how much we love this city. It, it's, this is how we say it. It's for real, y'all. Look at your neighbor and say it's for real. We love this church, man. We love you guys, every last one of you. Y'all are awesome. And uh, we believe in you. And we see God doing incredible things. And uh, he's not finished. He's not finished. And that, that's just so exciting. This morning, I want to go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, as we jump into our legacy series, part 2. Acts, chapter 2. I'll give you a little context here before we jump in. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He is raised from the dead. And in the few days that he has, just after he was raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples, basically just giving them the last push, the last encouragement, the last little bit before he ascends into heaven. And they have this encounter with God and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, just like Jesus said. And, uh, and, and this guy, Peter, who's one of the, the big disciples, one of the top disciples who was very... Um, he, he wasn't too bold about his faith. He was bold when he was around Jesus, but when Jesus was gone, he, he would fall apart. In fact, the little girl intimidated him, and so much so that he, he denied Jesus. And so he had this terrible moment of denial, but because of the goodness of God, there was a comeback story there. Come on, don't you love a good comeback story? And so he has this comeback story after the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he begins to, to, to preach his first message to this crowd and thousands and thousands have gathered and I think that's pretty cool that he was able to do that and that day 3,000 people commit their lives to Jesus 3,000 people added to the church which is a pretty incredible thing that occurred and this is where we pick up right here in Acts chapter 2 Peter just preached lots of people gave their life to Jesus in verse 42 it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. When they're talking about all the believers, they're talking about church people, people who are part of the church. It says they all met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We're going to use that for our text today as we carry on with our legacy series today. And I just want to pray before we jump into this. Lord, we love you. Thank you for every single person that has made the decision, Lord, to worship together with us this morning. And Father, I just pray that these moments that we have together, Father, will be more than just a church service, but it will be literally like sitting with you and hearing you speak to us. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you today to, to speak to the need of every person that is in this room, Father. Help them, God, to, to take that next step, to grow in their faith, to be the man and woman of God that you want them to be. Lord, today I ask for your help in communicating this message. Lord, let it be clear. Let it be life-giving, Father. Let it be challenging. Let it change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody's doing good this morning? All right, all right. A little bit of excitement in the air. All right, anyone in here grew up in church? 
Anybody here? Near? Okay, all right. So you got to distinguish what growing up in church means for each person. Because some people, growing up in church means that you went on Sunday. Hey, let me see that crowd. If, it, if you were just like the Sunday crew, you know what I'm saying? You went on Sunday. But I want to see the crew who went on Sunday and on Wednesday. Let me see those people. Hold on, hold on. You feeling good about yourself, but we're about to take it to the next level. Where's the crew that went Sunday morning and that 5.30 service on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Come on, where's that crew at? All right, we've got a few of you here. And what about the ones that your parents were doing all that, you were doing that, and they sent you to the youth group? Come on, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we just keep going on and on down the list. My family, we went to church all the time. I'm telling you, if the doors were open, not only were we there, we were there at least 45 minutes early. Some of you, you're twitching right now. I'm saying that 45 minutes early. I could do so much with that 45 minutes. 45 minutes early. We were literally the first people there and the last people to leave. Can I tell you, we are still the first people here, well, except for Gary, and then the last people to leave. When we go to football games, it's so funny. My boys played high school football. We were literally the last people to leave. In fact, the last game, last Friday night, we're in Niceville at the playoff game. And so this is the last game of the season. And so we're out there taking pictures, talking to people. They literally turned the lights off on the field. Like, people, you got to go. How many of y'all know what else? How many of y'all, y'all were that people growing up? Nobody. It was just us. I'm telling you, we went to every service. If there was a Bible study, we were there. I'm telling you, man, this was before they call them e-groups and stuff. They, at one point, they were called cell groups. That sounds weird. And then there were Bible studies. There were home groups, community groups, whatever you call them. Whatever it was, we were there. Then there was revival meetings. Anybody ever been to a revival before? Some of you raising your hand like, should I admit this or not? How many of y'all went to the revival where they had the lady that did the little shake and bake? You know what I'm saying? Cynthia's like, stop. I'm talking about where, you know, like the Holy Spirit hits her. I'm sorry, the Holy Ghost hit her, and she started to shake and everything. They take off running with the little handkerchief. Some of you are like, stop, stop, stop. We went there. (laughs) That was our family, man. We were not just involved in church. Like, we were the church. Like, I remember, I'll never forget this. I remember one Sunday evening going to church and my dad went into a shed to get a can of WD-40. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, there was a door that was squeaking at church this morning, and I'm going to go fix it. And so we were showing up for the 530 service that Sunday night. We were there like at 440, early. Like we were waiting on the guy with the key to come open the door. And he's going to all the doors, spraying the hinges, because it was just agitating him that he can hear the door creak during church. That's us. Never missed, man. Never, ever missed. Playing vacation around church and everything. Never missed. And uh, there are people that would assume, man, you missed out on so much because of that. And, um, but we gained so much. We gained so much. Uh, in fact, I look back on, on those days, and there was stuff that I learned about ministry that I needed to know for what I'm doing now. And as crazy as all my friends thought we were, God was, God was really doing something. Uh, And so we had a church family. We had people in our church that were close to us, just like family. And I look back at that, and I love it. I remember this this guy, when I was a teenager, this man pulled me aside and wanted to know what I was up to with that young lady. Come on, you know you're going to a good church when one of the older gentlemen in the church pull you aside to make sure you're doing it right. Am I right? 
Some of you are like, you better not mess with my kid. It's awesome. We were involved in church. Man. I looked at this Acts chapter 2. Um, it's the beginning of the church. I feel like I'm ringing. Are y'all hearing a ring overtone on the microphone? Do I need to change mics? I do? Okay, let me grab this mic, the singing mic. Y'all want me to sing? Be nice. Let me mute this thing. it, y'all. Okay. All right, we're back. So when we look at this Acts chapter 2 that we read this morning, this is really the beginning of the church. The church is coming together, and um, the Holy Spirit was just poured out, and the believers are empowered to take what Jesus has done in them and share it with all of the world. And at that time, many people are putting their faith in Jesus because of these men and women of God. You see, it was these men and women of God who have encountered Jesus in such a way that they couldn't contain it. They couldn't keep it for themselves because it was so powerful. It was so life-giving that they wanted to share it with others. They wanted to share it with their friends. And so whenever they have this encounter with the Holy Spirit, it gave them this desire. It gave them this drive. It gave them this boldness to go and share what Jesus has done in them. And I really don't believe they did it in a weird way where they were standing up and trying to shout people down. You know, at the ball games. We were at the Alabama LSU game last week, and it's consistent, man. Every camp campus has the guy with the sign. You know what I'm saying? Turn turn or burn. You know, they're holding up the sign and they're preaching. He wasn't too loud, but it's like there's these preachers that just make you feel like if you don't change, you're going to burn in the inferno, you know? And and and, and I, I do know that there is a hell, but Jesus didn't come threatening people. He came offering them heaven. And so... Um, and so you, you, you see all these expressions of it, and it leads us to believe, oh, that's how God is. But when you look at what was going on in the New Testament, I mean, they were really helping people. They were praying for people in need that needed a miracle from God. And because God did the miracle, it convinced them to follow Jesus. It's pretty impressive, am I right? I mean, it's all, yeah, they were preaching. I mean, they weren't watering it down. I mean, let's not accuse them, you know, of, of drifting from what Jesus came and started. They were sticking with it, but there was a compassion to it. There was a love to it. Am I right? There was like this reaching out uh, that they had to people because they really wanted to help people connect with the power of God. And they were doing it. And because of that, many people were coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And as a result, the church was beginning to grow. And, and, and they were experiencing like, like a revival. And, and I realized that in this story, the way that this was possible wasn't just because God had poured out his spirit. It was because there were some men and women who were just obedient to God. They made a decision to follow Jesus. They made a decision to tell others about what Jesus has done in their life. And their obedience... Their obedience began to impact other people's lives. And you never know what your obedience is going to do in your life or what it's going to do in someone else's life. Amen. That's why it's so important that you and I make a conscious decision to follow Jesus and not just go to church, but be the church and really represent him in every walk and avenue of life because it will affect people's lives. And I'm not just talking about a denominational switch here. I'm not just talking about, oh, we used to be this brand of church and now we're this brand of church. I'm talking about people who are truly committing to following Jesus and let him impact every single part 
of their lives. This is the reality of the gospel, and this is the power of God and what it's able to do. So in this chapter, Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching his first sermon. 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, and then this church, this spiritual family, this community is formed. And in Acts chapter uh, chapter 2, 42 through 47, it described what this community, it looked like. And it was quite impressive whenever you read it because they were learning together. They were growing together. They were getting together for meals. They were, they, and it wasn't just, oh, we don't have anything to eat. It was like, hey, we want to be around each other because when we're around each other, it makes me better. It makes me grow in my faith when I hear what God's doing in your life and you hear what God's doing in my life. When you hear my struggle, you're able to encourage me. When I hear yours, I'm able to encourage you. And so you get the sense of community. And they were sharing their possessions. They were helping one another with their needs. They were going to church together. They were going to their e-groups together. And and daily new people were coming to follow Jesus. And so what often happens is people see verses like this and they try to formulize it. And so what they do is they try to tell us that if we're really going to be the true church, we've got to do everything exactly like what they did in Acts chapter 42 through 47. And so if somebody doesn't sell all their possessions and give you the money, then you're mad at them because they're not living out Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47. And, and, and so because somebody's not inviting you over to dinner every day and cooking for you, you feel like the church isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And so we catch an attitude. Catch an attitude get a little upset, a little bit angry because they're not doing it the way it's said in 42 through 47. And all the while, we're not even doing what it said in 42 through 47, but we expect you to do it. And if you don't do it, you're not legit church. And when I look at this, I realized that this wasn't really a formula, but this was a result of what was happening in somebody's lives. And a lot of times, we're more anxious to see what the results are than to see how we got there. Come on. We, we, we just want results because we're so driven for success and we know it's successful when we see all the results. But I need you to know that there are some people that you may look at and you may not see much success in their life. But that doesn't mean that God's not working in their life. There's just some things they're working through. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever in a situation where God's trying to work through something in your life and it's like, just leave me alone. Hold on before you judge me. Amen. You don't know what I'm going through with my husband, with my wife, and these kids. You don't know. And kids are like, you don't know what I'm going through with my mom and dad. Your parents need prayer. This is what I want to compare it to, okay? Because if you just follow this exactly and do everything they did so we can have that kind of church community, it's not going to turn out that way. It's just not. We, we score keep too much. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, you, 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 didn't, you didn't share enough this week. That's how we are. You don't believe me? Just watch your kids. They're the same way. We're working on it. Am I right? How many of y'all would say they're a work in progress? How many parents say, pray for me because I'm a work in progress too? So this is how I want to compare it. It would be like following a recipe. One of those good Cajun recipes. Yesterday we cooked a gumbo for my son's birthday. And there were some people there who ate the gumbo for the first time. And I have people say, what's your recipe? And I don't have one. Never did. You just grow up, you learn how to do it, and you just, I mean, how much do you measure? I have no clue. How much water did you put? I don't know, just enough to fill up the pot. How much chicken? A lot. How much sausage? A lot. 
How much salt and pepper? I don't know. You just stir it and taste it and put a little more. I mean, it's just one of the... But so what happens is people, they want to duplicate this so that they can cook it. And so they get this recipe and they cook it. And when they taste it, they usually say, oh, this doesn't taste like the real thing. And it's kind of discouraging because it's exactly according to the recipe. But there's something missing. There's something not right. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's an intangible thing because it's not an ingredient that is missing and it's not a technique. It's just the love that was put in it whenever you cook it. You know what I'm talking about? Like I see some people who cook and I'm like, I'm not eating their food. And you say, that's judging people. That's not judging. That's using good judgment. It's like, you, you look like you need to eat a little bit more before I'm going to eat what you're cooking. Because it doesn't look like yours tastes that good. I mean, seriously, no judgment, just using good judgment here. Just to make an observation. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so a lot of times what happens with us whenever we see things like this in the Bible, because we see things of benefit uh, for us, we automatically assume this is how it needs to work. And you need to be able to do that. And we get very judgmental of the church and we get judgmental of people who are part of the church because you don't look like verse 42 through verse 47 because you need to sell all that you got because you're rich. You got a lot of money and you shouldn't be rich like that because there's other people who are poor and you shouldn't have all that because there's... And it turns into this big feud and it turns political and it begins to cause conflict and controversy between people and it causes division and I want you to know that God's not in any of that because what we see here is the result of people's hearts being changed and just like that recipe whenever that heart is put into it you can taste it whenever you're eating you can feel the love whenever you're eating it you're not sure what that ingredient is and you're questioning it like what is that little something in there I don't know what it is it's the love it's the heart that was put into making it and whenever we look at this scripture verse here what we see is the heart of God in the lives of these people and as a result of the heart of God in these people it began to change the way they acted It changed them from being selfish to being selfless. See, I think that's a better way to describe it instead of breaking it down to each of these different categories and putting pressure on each other and looking at somebody who's successful and telling them they need to do this according to Acts 2, 42 through 47. That's not how this works. Because at the same time, we want their heart to change. Where's your heart at? Where's our heart at? And so when I look at this, I truly see A heart change. I see people's hearts that were transformed by Jesus and all of these actions are the results of it. And when I see this, what I see is legacy. This is what I see. I see people doing some things that who would have thought of doing that? And you don't think that way unless your heart is truly changed. I believe when you look at that, you see, wow, this is the true legacy of the church. Instead of us trying to get up, get caught up in a political climate, what about a spiritual heart change? Because all of it's going to follow what's going on in our hearts. Whenever we look at the brokenness in this world, we're trying to figure out everything. We're trying to police everything. We're trying to categorize everything. We're trying to control everything. But the reality is the bad things in this world are never going to change until the hearts of people are changed. The things in your home aren't going to change until your heart is changed. Your heart towards your spouse. Until that changes, y'all going to keep fighting. Come on. 
that teenager, if you're fighting with your teenager at home, things aren't going to change until the hearts change. When there's a heart change, there's life change. When we look at this scripture, what we see is the result of lives being changed because their hearts were changed. What was it, though, that made that happen? What created this legacy for the early church? What was it? It was a heart change. And so let's talk about this for a moment because if you're going to live with a godly legacy, the church is going to have a godly legacy. It's not so much more of all the things that we need to begin to do. Like we're fixing, to, we, we're going into the holiday season and the pressure has already begun because, I mean, as soon as Halloween was over, I mean, they, your kids didn't even finish trick-or-treating yet. And all the stores were already transformed into Winter Wonderlands. Am I right? And some of you are like, ooh, I love it. The most wonderful time of the year. Decorate the house. Watch the movies. Oh, that's great. But slow your roll. Here's why. Because this is the most stressful time of the year for people. It's like, oh, I can't wait for the most stressful time of the year. Slow down. Got time for that. We got time. Slow down. Let's talk about this today. Foundations of a godly legacy. How many of you want to leave a godly legacy? You want to live a life that's just, it's not just accomplishments. It's not just look what we did, but it's look at who we became. Look at who we are. Something that is passed down from generation to generation. Something your kids honor you for later on in life. They're not going to honor you for the bike that you had to buy them. But they're going to honor you for who you were and how you treated them, how you are. I, mean, I think we all agree with that. So for us, how are we going to establish this kind of legacy? Here's the first thing. The foundation of a godly legacy, number one, is a, is a, heart, from God, a heart for God. It's having a heart for God. And this is, this is really challenging because by human nature, a heart is for ourselves. Like, like, you do not have to teach anyone how to be selfish. It just comes with the package. It comes automatically. Like, if you watch little children try to learn to share, how many of y'all have ever experienced that before in your lifetime? That's interesting. Because out of all the vocabulary words that they need to learn to tell us what in the world is going on in their little worlds, then you know the one word they got down? Mine. You ever been in one of those parties where you got the solo cup and you got to write your name on it because everybody's drinking out the same kind of cup? At, at those parties, you know what I write on my cup? Mine. <laughs> Some of y'all are going to take that from me, so now i got to come up with another one. I might write not yours on it. <laughs> Think about it, though. You don't have to teach that little kid how to say mine. You're just like, mine. Like, where'd you learn that word from? We don't say that around here. It comes automatically. And so for us to get to this point of being selfless, it's going to take a heart change. How many of you, your parents had to help change your heart because of your selfishness? You know what I'm talking about? How many, how many of your parents use some really good discipline tactics? Some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand. I'm still scarred from that, Pastor Wade. Let's leave that alone. So I'm going to recap some things from last week right here. Because last Sunday, we read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 12. It said, are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having, watch this, a sincere heart. Rather than looking so great and flashy, what's the heart? 
What does our heart look like? And so I would say this, the key to our legacy, and you might want to write this down, the key to our legacy is what's in our heart. I know it's simple, but if, if our heart's not right, our legacy's not going to be right. Because if there are selfish motives in it, it's going to get exposed. It's going to become very obvious. The heart of your legacy, the legacy that you want to live, it's found by what's in your heart. And that's why it's so important for us to examine our hearts. Now, watch this. This is how important the heart is. We can rewind all the way back to the Old Testament when the Lord was looking for a leader for the children of Israel. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. Now, we love that verse. We love that verse because we don't want anybody judging us by our outward appearance. We want them to see the intention of our heart. So the Lord looks at our hearts. And I want you to know that sometimes we look really, really good on the outside. But on the inside, we can be a grand total mess. Or like we would say in Louisiana, a teetotal mess. Teetotal. Just a mess. That's like you got friends coming over, and so what do you do? You just kick everything under the bed. Throw, how many of y'all got that closet? You know what I'm talking about? Come on. Can't wait to come to your house. Just throw it in there. Listen, I ain't going to lie. My garage is like that. Don't laugh at me. Your garage is too. There's only two people in here I know that's got the clean garage. The rest of us, it's a mess. Why? What are we doing? We want the outward appearance to look fantastic. When you go in the garage, you're like, these people are slobs. <laughs> look, I told my kids, don't you dare open that garage door. Don't do it, bro. It's bad. It's real bad. How many of y'all got that garage? Just nod. Don't raise your hand. Just nod. Just nod. Just nod. <laughs> so watch this. This is interesting. Because it says the Lord looks at the heart. He's not looking at what man looks at. And if you're looking at your legacy through what people look at legacies, like how they see legacies, we miss it. But what, if we're going to live a godly legacy, we got to look at the heart because our heart is where it's coming from. And God is looking at your heart. When's the last time you had a good look at your heart to evaluate where you are and who you're becoming? Like we have anger problems. Where's that coming from? Listen, at some point, we got to quit blaming everybody around us. For real, y'all. At some point, we got to take the blame off of people and look within and say, hey, where's my heart? What is going on? What is making me think like this? What is making me react like this? What is the root of it? Where is it really at? And it's in our hearts. A lot of times things happen to us and it hurt us, it scarred us and made us angry and stuff in our hearts. So this is where the reality of following Jesus comes in because if you just see it as rules, you will try your best to follow every rule so that the outward appearance looks really good and you can fake it till you make it. But the reality is your heart is all messed up. And when your heart is messed up, put pressure on it, eventually that's what's going to come out. And so that's why a lot of people, quote unquote, lose their religion. And it usually happens in pressure situations. How many of you ever seen somebody lose their religion before? How many of you had opportunities to lose your before and you contained it? How many of you did not? Don't raise your hand. Why? Because it's just rules. 
It's just these stipulations that we're trying to follow. But when we're following Jesus, it's truly a heart transformation. Meaning my heart has changed. And because there is a change of heart, it's changing my actions. It's changing my reactions. It's changing my perspective. It's changing how I live my life. When we're talking about a heart for God, it is truly following Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Not just going to church on Sunday. Not just checking off the box that I did these things but it's every day I have a heart for God because I'm in a relationship with him. So last week, we mentioned our legacy identity. We said that we're worshipers, we're servants, we're givers. And all of those are matters of the heart. See, I worship because my heart has been changed. I serve because my heart is changed. I give because my heart is changed. These aren't just rules, and if they are rules that you follow, eventually they're going to agitate you because there's only so much of you that you can give. But when the Lord has your heart, there's a download of what's in his heart that is poured into yours. And so when you couldn't forgive, now that you have his heart, you're able to forgive. Come on. You couldn't love that person because they hurt you in one season of your life. Because he has downloaded his love to you, you're able to still love them. Are you grabbing this? It's a heart transformation thing. And when there is a heart for God, there's a connection with God. And it's a matter of the heart. These are decisions tagged based off of what's happened in our heart and not just what I know I need to do. Again, the recipe. I know it calls for, for, for two cups of this and a teaspoon of that. But when I cook it up, it doesn't taste as good. Why? Because it needs some heart. Good hearty meal. How's our heart? So watch this, a person with a heart surrendered to God is a person with great potential and the power to achieve it. If you have a heart for God, I want you to know your potential is even greater than what you had before. And this ain't a Geico commercial, by the way. I'm serious. When you have a heart for God, there is so much potential in you to become what you never thought you could be. But there's also the power to accompany it. Because when you're connected to God with your heart, listen, you're connected to the power source. And so it's not just wishful thinking and it's not just hard work on your part, but you got to work hard. But there's the power, there's this energy, there's this drive that comes from the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what you didn't think you could do. I think that's pretty awesome. So if you allow God to have your heart, he will change your life. In fact, not only will he change your life, he'll begin to change the lives of people all around you. He'll change your life. He'll change your marriage. He'll change your relationships. He'll change your perspective. Things that one time looked doom, gloom, and despair, agony on me. Now you see it through a fresh set of eyes because you see the potential of what God can do with you in that situation. I believe if we want to leave legacy, I think we want to be known for having a heart for God. Look at that. What's his legacy? He had a heart for God. In fact, David, King David was described as a man after God's own heart. That's powerful. Think about that. What will our legacy be? Here's the second thing. I think we've got to have a heart for God. I think we also got to have a heart for God's house. A heart for God's house. See, if you have a heart for God, you will have a heart for God's house. You will. And God's house is his church. It's like there's this family component to it. And if we just see it as an organization, we will always give ourselves an option. But when you see it as family, it's not just an obligation. There's a willingness to it because you see the value of a spiritual community, of a spiritual family. And you say, I need them and they need me and we all need Jesus. 
And we all need Jesus together. And so we're able to learn things from each other. We're able to encourage each other. We're able to help each other go further than what we would have gone by ourselves. We take risks together with people that we would never, ever take on our own. There are steps that we know we need to take. I think of countless people, when it came to water baptism, they were scared to do it by themselves. But when somebody said, hey, I'll do it with you, they jumped right in. They went for it. The ones that said, I don't want to go to e-group alone. Somebody said, I'll go with you. And now they're leading the e-group that they were once scared to go to. There's something about coming together in community. And I will say this, the enemy Satan wants to do, the one thing he wants to do is to get you away from your family, from your spiritual family, because if he can isolate you, he can dominate you. I'm telling you, and that's the tactic of the enemy, to make you angry at the people of God, to make you angry at your spiritual family. It's happening at home with your natural family. It's happening at church. you got to see the enemy is after your heart to try to twist you and make you believe that everybody's got a problem except for you. Come on. Woo. Woo. Go get a mint. Simmer down, preacher. So when we say God's house, The church, let's not think of a corporation. Let's think of a spiritual community, a spiritual family. There is no separating the the God's house from God. There's no, it's the church that God has chosen to use to reach the world. It's the men and women uh, that he has done something in their lives that he chooses to turn around and affect other people. And this has been going on for generation after generation, and it's not stopping anytime soon. And just because the media says this and that about a church that's simply a voting demographic doesn't mean that we have to believe that the church is falling apart, amen? Because the church is thriving, and it is strong. And even though there are people making comments that the church is this, And the church is that. All I would say is that when you get a heart from God, he will change your life. And because God is changing lives of people that are a part of a church, he's changing communities. Why? Because when the heart of God is exposed, everybody gets changed. Everybody's life is affected. So here's the reality of the church. We need Jesus, but we all need each other. Listen, I need you. If you ain't here today, this is a tough sermon to preach. Who's that dude talking to? Check him in. We need you. We couldn't do this church without all the people that serve here. We couldn't do all that we do without the people who give. We can't. There's this, there's this cohesiveness, this connection of people that say, hey, I believe in what God's doing, and I've seen what God's done in my life. Let's go for it. Let's, let's work together to accomplish something for God's kingdom. I think that's a great legacy. Think of it. What was his legacy? He had a heart for God, and he had a heart for God's house. See, that doesn't sound like a weird church person. It just sounds like godliness. Am I right? Sounds godly. Sounds holy. Sounds right. I love the church. I promise you, I went to church more than all of you. Most of you put together. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you. Dad said, get in the car. That's all I'm telling you. And we went, man. I slept under pews. All kind of people's gum under there, man. We went to revival meetings. I could tell you stories where my parents had to come home from revival meetings because of trouble that we were getting in. All the time. And some people would say, man, you didn't get burned out on church. And I didn't get burned out on church. And the reason why is because I saw what God did in the heart of my mom and dad. I continued to see what God was doing in the hearts of people around me. 
And even though I took a lot of flack for it, we were called holy rollers in school. Yeah. We were, that, we were those kids that couldn't go to the dance. And before you laugh at me, I'm thankful. There were a lot of opportunities to get into things. And you know what my dad was helping us do? Guard our hearts. So that we would always have a heart for God and a heart for God's house. Some people would call it shelter. I look at it and I call it favor. I didn't experience some things that would have hurt me, would have messed up my perspective. Because my dad's heart was changed, my mom's heart was changed, and they parented us accordingly. And don't ever sit here and think we were perfect, because I promise you there was there was some interesting times at the Moran household. Some of y'all met my parents, you would say, oh yeah. I love the church. I want you to know our church, we support churches. Other churches in this community, they are not our competition. They're our friends. We need them. We need all these churches in town to preach the gospel, to reach all kinds of people. I'm fully aware that not every single person that lives in this city will come to our church. And that is okay. But I do pray they will go to somebody's church. Because everywhere we go, people need Jesus. And so we will support the church. Amen. We will speak well of the church because we believe in the church. And let me say this, the church isn't after people's money. Don't let a few televangelists mess it up for you that nobody's watching. Amen. Nobody's watching those guys. They're changing the channels. And there's some great men and women of God. There's some great pastors around this town. I'm telling you, I look back over our history as a church. I remember, man, when we started, we had nowhere to practice for our church. Northwoods Baptist opened their doors and said, hey, come rehearse here. We would drive it all the way on the other side of town. But every week, they would open their doors and say, come rehearse here. We didn't have a water baptism tank. City Church said, here, here's the tank. We want to donate it to y'all. Then they opened up their space and said, hey, come rehearse here. I remember Ron Miller over at Every Nation Church, which is now Go To Church. I remember him saying, hey, I want to pray for you. Come by the church and let me pray for you. And we would pray together. And he would say, you're an answer prayer to what God wanted to do in this city because we need more people to reach more people here. And I love hearing that. That's the legacy of the church. That's who we really are. Just because you read something in the paper or see something on TV, that doesn't mean that's who the church really is. That was just a good story that can get a lot of views, that can get a lot of clicks, that can get a lot of readers to develop this mindset. But I want you to know the church is good. The church is strong. The church is strong. And listen, there's amazing people in this church. There's amazing men and women of God who are not perfect, but they are godly. They are godly. And I'm so thankful, man, that we have people that have a heart for God and a heart for God's house. Amen. I said this earlier. I believe Satan wants you to be disconnected from God's house, to isolate, to offend. And what he does is he tries to dismember the church. And I noticed something in the scripture there that says that they would, they would receive the Lord's Supper, which is communion. Communion has become such a, a religious activity that we lose the meaning of it. We lose the reality of it. And to have communion is to remember. If Satan wants to dismember the body, Jesus wants to remember, bring it back together, 
remember. What does that mean? I remember what God's heart for me was. I remember what my heart for him is. And so I'm recommitting. That's what communion is. It's I'm recommitting to the people that God has put together in this spiritual family. I know we're not perfect because I'm not perfect, but he still let me in. And so I'm going to connect with other people who are imperfect but are following Jesus. Why? Because even though the recipe wasn't exact, there was a lot of heart in it. And it tasted, oh, so very good. Tasted so good. I think whenever we read verses like taste and see that the Lord is good, the first taste people get of God is us.